Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, Eastland Mall, once a thriving hub of retail activity in Columbus, has closed its doors for good. Historian Doug Motes takes a look back at the history of the mall and examines its impact on the local community, the retail industry, and the city as a whole. We also discuss the political fights that have always followed development in Columbus and the need to look at the plan for the neighborhood now that Eastland is gone. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Also, the Confluence Cast is on Patreon. Find out how to support this podcast on our website, theconfluencecast.com, or at patreon.com slash confluence. The Confluence Cast is sponsored this week by the Mid-Ohio Regional Planning Commission, or MORPSI, featuring stories about local and regional partners that envision and embrace innovative directions in economic prosperity, transportation, sustainability, and an inclusive central Ohio. MORPSI's transformative programming, innovative services, and public policy initiatives are designed to promote and support the vitality and growth in the region. For more information, please visit morpsy.org. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here virtually with Columbus historian and Columbus scholar, Doug Motes. Doug, how are you, sir? I'm great. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Tim. I really appreciate it. No, absolutely. We are here talking on the occasion of the demise. I don't want to use too heavy of words. Talking about uh, the Eastland Mall has closed, and it's an opportunity to look back at the history of that mall and, frankly, look back at the history of enclosed malls in general in Columbus and shopping and how it's evolved over time. Doug, first of all, to lend you some credence, Give us a little bit of your background as a historian here in Columbus. Uh, sure. Um, thanks again for having me on. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm a lifelong Franklin County resident. I actually was born in Columbus um, at the old um, St. Anne's Hospital on Bryden Road. Mm-hmm. Uh, my family, though, lived out in Reynoldsburg. So I, you know, a Reynoldsburg guy would go to Eastland Mall. Um, and I worked at Eastland Mall, we'll, we'll get there, but uh, very interested in local history, um, written a couple of books with friends, uh, with David Myers, Elise Myers Walker and Jeff Chenault. We wrote a, a book on the long lost Kahiki, mm-hmm. uh, which has a second book coming out actually, um, <laughs> next month, the Kahiki scrapbook. We've got so much interest in that, that a lot of people wanted more and told us more stories. So there's enough for a whole other book. And then my friend Christine Hayes, uh, she and I wrote uh, Lost Restaurants of Columbus. And then there were so many people that said, you forgot this one and you forgot Mm. that one. And they were right because we were focusing exclusively on Columbus. Uh, They said, so we wrote the second book, The Lost Restaurants of Central Ohio and Columbus. Mm. Um, I've got those. um, And with my friend Jeff, um, Jeff wrote a whole book on Ohio Tiki. 
And uh, I was, he asked me to do the Ford and I was really pleased to do that. So I've written some books. Uh, I give tours for Seabus City Adventures. I've given tours for Leadership Columbus. I've given tours, uh, History of um, the City for the Council of Historic Neighborhoods. Um, I was president at one point of the Columbus Historical Society. Uh, I've written a column for Columbus Underground called History Lesson. Um, starting that up again, actually, with the history of the Deschler Wallach Hotel. So uh, I'm, I'm really happy to be here, and that's some of my experience and some of my background. Yeah, and one thing I said to you before we started recording today, I am surprised that it's taken so long for you and I to connect. This feels like an appropriate time, given that we're looking back at something, but I imagine that we will have you again in the future to talk about some of Columbus history, especially as things continue to evolve and we're getting into a voting or excuse me, a city council zone system this year. And uh, there's just lots to look back on. And of course, the podcast was not around during the bicentennial. For sure. Yeah. At one point, I was actually a Livingston Avenue area commissioner. So I'm, I'm pretty well aware of some of the, the politics happening in the, the center city. So that would be interesting. There you go. Let's first of all, give the high level rundown of Eastland Mall and uh, how it got started and what, what its history is here. Sure, for sure. So uh, ground got broken on July 12th, 1966. The following day I was born. So okay. Eastland Mall is, <laughs> interestingly enough, it was announced to be uh, by the cast organization and, and the, uh, there's another organization uh, that was involved in putting all of that together with them, the uh, Visconsi Mead Jacobs Company, they were the co-founders, uh, to be actually opened in 67. It opens in 68, uh, but there was a construction worker strike. And um, so the mall itself did not open, um, but parts of the mall did. Actually, the Lazarus family was able to open Eastland Mall um, in August of 1967. Hmm. So that was kind of interesting. And they made a really, really big deal uh, because at the mezzanine level, they had their very first restaurant that would overlook the mall. Um, so you could go out there and get a sandwich or something. I have a lot of terrific memories. Again, that's where I grew up. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, they had a there was a theater in the mall, the the Eastland um, Theater. They had just two screens, but my grandmother, um, who worked at the Union, which was a competitor um, of of Lazarus and of Morehouse Math, you know Morehouse the Fashion and all that, but she would take me there to see the Disney movies when they would get first released. I remember always going there with her and either before the movie or after the movie, I remember seeing Mary Poppins with her at Eastland Theater. And I remember seeing Lady and the Tramp with her. And I have memories of it, too, because she got me the little golden book since you would sign it, you know, from your grandmother. Mm. Uh, but we would have we would have a fancy lunch at the Lazarus restaurant overlooking the mall. And uh, I would always get this Mickey Mouse ice cream sundae they put ear you know like oreo cookies uh mm -hmm. in the ice cream like mickey mouse ears and these big things of um licorice to make it look like whiskers or whatever and i think maybe red hots for eyes or something so mm -hmm. i have a lot of great memories of that mall but that was a really big deal they're really kind of hyping it up in all of their ads 
Uh, then along comes Sears because there are three big anchors at that mall. And I'll backtrack because Eastland is, there were all the, they call them the directional malls. Mm-hmm. Started with Northland. Um, and then Northland was a, a, a big mall around Morse Road, kind of where down the way now from where Easton is. That was an open air mall, but it was still, you know, a big mall by the Castro organization. And Castro had had a lot of good luck because they were also the first ones to open up a shopping mall, period. Okay. Uh, they had opened up Town and Country uh, Shopping Center uh, along Broad Street in East Columbus, kind of that area uh, just outside of Whitehall. And so and clarifying again, question here. Yeah. So we refer to Eastland specifically as the first cl- closed mall, right? Yep. Enclosed mall. Enclosed, correct. And so additionally, Northland already, because I was about to say Northland wasn't around yet, but it was, but in a different form. Northland was around. It was open air. Northland doesn't become an enclosed mall until 1975. Gotcha. Because they, and it, and in fact, when Eastland gets open to another another part of their advertising, it's always 72 degrees. It's always 72. <laughs> they would put that in their taglines in just about everything when it was you know the mall itself doing the advertising. Gotcha. So it was a pretty big deal, you know. I mean, it was on a, a really large swath of property, and it not only uh, brought in retailers, but it also spurred a great deal of housing development. Hmm. Um, there was a lot of housing development. I'm thinking of there were two that I was I was doing a little bit of research on it. Talford Park, uh, they would advertise, uh, you know, just near Eastern Eastland Mall. And uh, Fritch Homes had the village live in a quality plus home right near Eastland Shopping Center. Hmm. So, I mean, it's interesting. It's, it didn't just do that uh, for retailing, but it also brought out, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, a, a lot of housing development. Mm-hmm. Interesting as well, because our, our hometown guy, Les Wexner, had just opened up um, the Limited at mm-hmm. um, Town and Country, and he's featured in this advertising as they're opening up Welcome Eastland Shopping Center. Uh, the Eastland Merchants Elect, the Eastland Shopping Center Merchants Association, has been formed to promote and publicize the new heated and air conditioned enclosed mall and to encourage such civic, social, and cultural programs. Officers and members of the newly elected association shown are left to right Leslie Wexner. Hmm. So Leslie Wexner was on the ground floor of Eastland Mall, which I think is very interesting. And I didn't know that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to be clear, this is sort of a this isn't even a civic organization. This is a merchants association. Yeah. But do you think of it as formal or is it much more like we put together this this cheerleading team, if you will, that that represents the merchants and and also helps to attract others to participate in this new project this new unproven at least in this market project yeah for sure i don't know the parameters about how this association was set up mm-hmm. but your i think your hypothesis is spot on okay. i'm sure it was a group put together to encourage others to join or to keep different standards up at the mall or you know, things along that line. Because you have to remember, 
prior to that, there might have been shopping districts, but everybody had their own brick and mortar. Right. Uh, this is a case kind of like a, I don't know, I guess you could think of it as single family homes versus a condominium. You'll have a neighborhood that's filled with, you know, maybe you have a homeowners association in the single family homes, mm-hmm. but in the condo association, you know, you've got a, a board that's overseeing, you know, what's happening at, at, you know, at that shared space. And to me, it seems like this is a group that's put together. And again, I don't know this, but it would seem to me that this is a group that's kind of trying to figure out how are we going to make this work? How are we going to make this make money for us? How are we going to attract our customers here? Who do we want here? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Absolutely. So the mall opens February 14th, 1968. Valentine's Day, same as Columbus's birthday. I think that's interesting. Yep. I was going <laughs> to see, I was going to do it, but you, but you stole it. So yeah, that's totally fine. Beat you to the punch. Sorry, friend. No, it's all right. But yeah, ground, you know, ground's broken and they open up in 68 and there's a, a laundry list of, um, of things that you can do at the mall and they're, they're touting. They've actually got six places to eat. Woo. Six <laughs> places to eat at the mall. And, um, you, you can actually go there too. And, um, you can get your eyes looked at by, um, <laughs> by Tuckerman optometrist. You can get your nooses uniform at uh, the national uniform shop. Lane Bryant opens up there. JC Penney's the limited Sears Lazarus. Woolworth makes a really big deal. They're kind of a quasi fourth anchor as kind of a, you know, a value store, mm-hmm. but they open up this Woolworth Harvest House cafeteria. So very excited about that. B. Dalton bookseller, Gray Drug, Singer, but they're not just selling sewing machines in their ads. They're selling TVs and phonographs and vacuum cleaners and hmm. fabric. And there's an A&P, uh, but there's also they... Along with the mall, there's a lot of ancillary around Eastland Shopping Center, where there's a, a White's Fine Furniture, and uh, you know some, there's an A and P grocery store. So there's this mall, and much like Easton today, there's the mall proper, and then across the street, you know, are other retailers that are kind of clustering together, um, you know, under the same kind of auspices. Mm-hmm. But there's a curtain shop, the A and S Curtain Shop. Uh, the Shift Suburban Shoes, Madison's, which was a very, very nice um, women's clothing store. I mentioned the Eastland Cinema where I would go and see things. The Cut and Curl Beauty Shop. Mm. Uh, yeah. And the Merle Norman Cosmetic Studio. Their ads like to say that they're home of the free hour of beauty. Um, oh. oh, Eastland Shoe Repair. Uh, Parkland Hosiery. The Fanny Farmer Candy Shop. And uh, the Junior Shoe World, as seen on Lucy's Toy Shop, you can go in there and ride the carousel. Okay. So Lucy's Toy Shop was a, a, a program that was put on by WBNS, a local programming. Lucy was a, a, a doll maker and, and, and puppeteer, and I have very fond memories of Lucy's Toy Shop. But yeah, that would, have been a, that would have been a kid's place to go and get your shoes. And can you give some context for where, you know, in preparation for this interview, obviously I go onto the website and I go to yeah. Wikipedia and sure. do a little digging in terms of what are the cited articles so that I have some context, but I'm just curious where one would go. Where are you getting, first of all, like this list of here's what was there and here's what was unique about how Singer, what we think of as a sewing machine maker, that they were going into other lines of sale where is this information as a historian where is it coming from 
happy to share all of that. I am uh, a former shop owner of the Columbus or shop runner, the Columbus Library Store. Mm. Love our Columbus Metropolitan Library. This is all from the Columbus Metropolitan Library's database. You can get amazing, amazing research from them. If you are a Columbus Library you know, card holder, mm-hmm. you can log in now and actually access the Dispatch Digital Archive. Mm-hmm. So once you're in there, I simply do a, a, a search within the Dispatch. I did parameter search of Eastland Mall and went okay. through several hundred... <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> sightings of Eastland Mall, and every time there was something interesting, uh, that's I I pull a lot of it from there. So I'm I'm trying to get contemporary sources to tell yeah. you all of this, and then to kind of sort it out and give it context and and curate it a little bit. So that's where the all of this that I've shared with you is direct from newspaper clippings from the Columbus Dispatch that are contemporary to the mall opening. And I imagine a lot of what you're talking about, too, is not just articles surrounding the mall, but the advertising that's within the dispatch at the time. Absolutely. Because you have to remember, too, what was kind of funny is I'd done that search and there are a lot of sales ads, people wanting attractive women. It was very sexist. It was very misogynistic. But again, it's it's 67 and 68. So Mm. in looking for this, it's like female situations wanted and there'd be these ads that they wanted a waitress or they wanted a sales clerk or they wanted a bookkeeper uh, right next to, I tracked it. There were seven ads in 68 for go-go dancers. So that's where we were. When you look for that, you find all kinds of other things. But what's interesting, but what's interesting to me too, though, is not only do they open up all this, this retailing and they're talking about the shops and, you can go and get your hair done. You can have your eyes looked at, et cetera, et cetera, which is kind of interesting. That they're doing a little bit of, it's not just retail, but you can get something to eat and you can, you know, have a day of beauty or have your eyes looked at and take care of some medical things. Mm-hmm. Um, they do a big piece about the shopping days, the six shopping days that they're open. Cause they're only open Monday through Saturday for shopping. Okay. Sunday, they're not open for shopping, uh, but you can still come in and see artwork. And there's this really interesting piece that they have that they call the Wonderfall. It kind of goes in the in the mall. And I don't know if you're familiar with any of the mid-century modern lamps or things, but they're like those little oil lamps. Yeah. Where there's kind of this with liquid that comes down that's not quite water. It's not quite oil. The beaded yeah. going down like the, yep. This Wonderfall mm-hmm. apparently was a giant one of these that was something like 38 feet tall. And they were talking... Okay. In all of the ads they're touting, come see the Wonderfall on Sunday. If you, you know, the shops aren't open, but you can window shop and you can see that. And there were uh, several sculptures at the mall done by a, a Cleveland um, artist. Uh, gosh, I know I've got his name here somewhere. I was just looking at all of it. Charles Van Duzer. And I, I've been searching for what they were called, but on each end of the mall with this Wonderfall kind of being sort of in the middle. Uh, there was like this a pioneer family um, in kind of a, again, a mid-century, a little bit brutalist uh, kind of a, a sculpture that was kind of cool. It was dad in like a stove, uh, you know, pipe hat and, uh, and the mom and kids and dad's got a big uh, scythe. And um, on the other end of the mall, they've got like the contemporary group of the, it's the same family, but they're brought up into 1968. And then along with it, too, they've got greenery and fountains. 
and because it's always 72 at Eastland Mall. So it's just really interesting that they're saying, you know, even come to the mall when we're, we're not here. Uh, you can see some artwork. There's a big article about Huntington Banks opening up a branch at Eastland Mall. And um, they're making a, a big deal about artwork that is on loan from the Schumacher Collection at Capital University. So you could go hmm. into the Huntington branch and actually see some you know, curated artwork. Um, and then as you go along, it's also really interesting because they're trying to get people, I suppose, to come and do things at the mall or create events. Um, mm -hmm. There's an article cited from April 6, 1968, just a couple months after the mall opens. Eastland plans for psychedelic paint-in contest. Students from Ohio State and Capital University armed with brushes and buckets of paint will stage the area's first paint-in Sunday through April 29th in the new enclosed Eastland Mall. Hmm. The painting featuring op, psychedelic, and whimsical art will be done on new automobiles provided for the paint-in. So they're, they're doing their best to try and bring in people with a variety of art and other things outside just shopping, which I, I think is kind of interesting. Yeah, well, and it seems a little similar to, you know, once Easton was established, they started doing a little bit more in terms of activating their streets, like with their chalk artist drawings. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and other events to sort of draw people in. And you also saw that, now that I think of it, you saw that at City Center, right, with their center. The City Centertainers. I was, so I not only yeah. worked at Eastland Mall, I opened City Center Mall. <laughs> okay. I did. 1989, August of 1989, uh, I was hired by Marshall Fields to sell men's clothing. So I'd okay. gotten, uh, I'd, I'd, I'd talk about my experience there. I can talk about my experience. Eastland Mall, uh, I worked there in the mid-1980s as a, as a college student. I was going to college at Ohio State. And mm -hmm. um, there was a men's store that was right outside of Lazarus. Uh, it was called Walkers. It was a, uh, a men's store uh, put on by a, a big kind of traditional men's clothing company called Hart Schaffner and Marks. So I learned a lot about traditional clothing. Um, but yeah, so being in that men's store got me a lot of, you know, I, I, under, I began to understand some of the, fa the fashion and fabric. But it also, I, I got to know them all pretty well. At that point, they did add a Wendy's. That was a big deal. Because you could go to okay. Wendy's during my lunch break, which before I would really only go to the Woolworth counter or Lazarus at the time had a basement restaurant called Charlie's. I suppose it was named after Charles Lazarus, one of the brothers who was, um, you know, running Lazarus at the time. And they had amazing broccoli soup. That's what I remember about Charlie's. Okay. Um, you know, but you could, there, there was, the mall was still very, very active into the 80s. Uh, with other, you know, the Bombay Bicycle Club was a bar that had opened up kind of outside of it. There was Buzzard's Nest Records. There was Peaches Records. Um, there was, uh, again, a whole grouping if you're going just outside of the mall. Um, again, kind of like there are things up and down um, around Easton. It was very, very similar. But to go into the mall, there, I still remember going to Hallmark. I can remember going to the Limited at that time. Uh, it was all women's things. They didn't have any of the men's collection when they, you know, opened up Express. Mm -hmm. 
but they had a big thing there. Uh, it seemed like their big draw was Hunter's Run, Hunter's Ridge. I'm going to say it wrong. But it was kind of a knockoff of Polo because the preppy whole idea in the, the mid-1980s was huge. So I could remember, again, just out of high school into college, there are a lot of women that I knew that loved limited Hunter's Run and Hunter's Ridge, and they would go in there for that. Uh, B. Dalton was around. We didn't, uh, you know, that was still a thing. Uh, you would go, we spent a lot of time at Sears getting cars worked on. I remember that and getting tires because Sears had a, an automotive area that you could do things with as well. Pennies, my mom would order things either from Pennies or the outlet, which was also nearby. They had a big Pennies outlet. If you just want to talk about the, the general shopping mm -hmm. uh, in Columbus and central Ohio at that time. But also right across the way from the mall was a, a, a discounter called Gold Circle. And that was run by Lazarus and the Federated Department Store. Much like Marshall Fields had this little discounter, you might know it today, um, Target. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Marshall Fields would buy things and if they had a great deal on something, they got really inexpensive. Uh, they, they sent it to their Target store. In Columbus, Lazarus would do something very, very similar. Uh, probably borrowing from their their rivals, the Schottensteins, uh, and they mm. had their own store called Gold Circle, and that was also there uh, at the Eastland Mall area. So I mean, it was it was pretty lively. If you're there at the holidays and trying to turn off of Interstate 70 uh, to Hamilton Road uh, to get down there, good luck um, because mm -hmm. the traffic would really really be backed up. Um, but it was it was a very, very lively place. Uh, and then it becomes very interesting. I was putting together um, kind of a timeline, you know, about what's happening, because in 1989, like we've said, city center opens. Uh -huh. So that's given Eastland Mall a good 20 years. Right. It's got a good two decades to establish itself. But then city center opens up and they're luring all kinds of stores we haven't seen either. Um, Marshall Fields being a huge competitor for Lazarus and one of the big anchors of Eastland, that's going to draw, and it's downtown. So that's going to draw people kind of back in. You have to remember there was a lot of flight away from the urban core in the fifties and sixties. That mm -hmm. makes all these malls super attractive. Uh, the big thing still happening in downtown Columbus at that point is Lazarus. The fashion is still around. Uh, union store is still around. These are kind of, the fashion would be very contemporary to Lazarus and very similar. And well, Lazarus people listening to the podcast might not know that they started Federated, uh, but that became Macy's. Okay. With all of these, this, the Federated department store, Shilto Reichs and, and others, but Macy's joined um, Federated a little bit later. In fact, Lazarus was older than, than Macy's. Lazarus has its hmm. own really interesting history like we were talking about my friends, uh, David Myers, his wife, Beverly, and their daughter, Elise Myers Walker, wrote a fantastic mm -hmm. book. Uh, I've gotten a lot of source material from that look to Lazarus. Um, but Simon Lazarus was Columbus's first rabbi. So he comes here in the 19th century, not only as a rabbi, but he opens up a men's clothing store. And that kind of sp spreads out. And the, the Lazarus, my, my God, who doesn't love Lazarus, who was in Columbus at any point while Lazarus was still in existence. Right. Um, they set all kinds of standards retailing wise, uh, including grouping 
merchandise by its um, by its kind of style rather than its uh, price. So, mm. yeah, it was. It's, I just learned that on a really great blog called Fashion to Fiber at osu.edu. It, very oh, interesting. Okay. So that's another source. Um, I knew this already that the Lazarus family convinced uh, Franklin Delano Roosevelt to move um, Thanksgiving to the the fourth Thursday rather than the, the, the always being the final. There's actually a, a history lesson column about that. So you can source that and that's got some fun things. But so much of retailing the way that we know it, um, Lazarus, and even just setting price tags on things. Um, they actually had a, a common price tag before that. Lots and lots of retailers, you just kind of come in and, and haggle a little bit. Um, mm. Lazarus also set a standard for returns. You could return anything to Lazarus, even if you hadn't bought it there. Uh, so, <laughs> I mean, La the Lazarus family, there's a, there's a great slogan. When Columbus turned 150, the dispatch uh, used to have a, its own magazine inside of it. But at the back of the magazine, inside of the dispatch, the special, you know, uh, sesquicentennial edition. Uh, if it's if it's good for Columbus, it's good for Lazarus, and if it's good for Lazarus, it's good for Columbus. That's kind of their business motto, and they're doing all kinds of things to make certain that they're upholding the civic values that they feel are important to the city. Uh, cannot say enough good things about the Lazarus store and the Lazarus family. But anyway, that's. Yeah. So city center opens up in 89, but then you start to see some other downtown stores close. There was a really, uh, um, Madison's, uh, which was down the way closes from there. Um, in 1994, the union store closed their last store, which was at Kingsdale shopping center. Um, in October, 1997, then a little bit later, Tuttle mall opens. And there's a lot of, is Tuttle Mall going to kill city center? Is it going to hurt all the other malls? So in doing all of this research, looking at it, there are tons of fights. There are fights from civic organizations. There are fights from homeowners. There are fights from other, other mall owners. Um, you know, and then there's, there's different tax breaks and tax incentives. In fact, when Michael Coleman is running uh, for mayor against Dorothy Teeter, right, at the, at the, during the Y2K time, um, mm -hmm. th that's one of the big battles that the two of them are having. I mean, it's going to be a historic election one way or another. We're either going to have the first African-American as mayor, or we're going to have the, the first woman as our mayor. Uh -huh. Um, they're all, they're really being pummeled with questions about who are you going to give these tax incentives to? Because there's, they're not only talking about Tuttle, but there's rumor in the wind about this Easton thing that might be opening up. And there's been several attempts at that point. None of them succeed uh, about something going on in the Polaris area. So they are hmm. a lot of, a lot of voters and a lot of people like, why are you giving away all this money? And what about us? And what about our neighborhood? What are you doing to help out Northland? What are you doing to help out Westland? What are you doing to help out, um, you know, Eastland mall? So it's, it takes on kind of a life of its own. Then, you yeah, know, which is a struggle that continues today, not necessarily in that shopping context, but oh, yeah, where where are folks going to put jobs and what yeah. tax incentives can they get as a result? Huge. I mean, you go you can go back and look through that again. I, I think I was just I was still using that Columbus Library database and mm -hmm. I, had, I had typed in Tuttle Mall and I wasn't getting anything about Tuttle Mall. It was all about Dorothy Teeter and Michael Coleman. <laughs> and I was huh. like. 
what is i mean i lived through that and i i remember some of that but it's interesting when you go back and like wow these malls and these development long before we had anything that was virtual or long before we were doing anything that was you know uh cyberspace or cyber mondays or online shopping or things this was a really big deal where are you going to get your stuff i mean yeah there was, there was one other big thing that we don't really talk about and that was catalog companies uh, I also worked for a really fantastic catalog company that was based here in Columbus uh, called Huntington Clothiers. Again, on the okay. east side, they were on uh, Alum Creek, but they had their own shirt manufacturing. And uh, a lot of people, you know, uh, what was it? J. Crew and L.L. Bean would have been the really big, big uh, people in that realm. But yeah, mm -hmm. I worked for a catalog company. People would call in and get the catalog and... Uh, you know, want to know what does this feel like or what does this really look like or what does this pair well with? So Columbus retailing and then don't forget all the L brands, the limited gets its start, you know, as early we we're talking about Leslie Wexner earlier. There's a lot of fashion in Columbus. There's a lot of fashion innovation. We can mm -hmm. talk about Morehouse Martins. So Morehouse Martin have the fashion and in 1910 is kind of a publicity stunt. This is a, a really cool thing taking you way back. Um, they actually hire the Wright brothers to fly a bolt of silk fabric from Dayton to Columbus. And Columbus doesn't even have, <laughs> they don't even have an airport at that point. And it's right. the fashion tons of money. And it ends up being a, a really big um, Alan Gundesheimer and their, their family, Gundesheimer family they do this giant publicity stunt to fly a bolt of fabric from Dayton to Columbus. It lands in driving park on the East side off Livingston Avenue. It actually causes one of Columbus's first known um, car accidents. Cause it, it's reported that there was actually a truck that sees this airplane flying, doesn't know what to do, crashes into a pole. Um, but when, <laughs> But when the, the, the airplane lands, it's a right flyer and Orville, Orville or, uh, or his brother were supposed to actually pilot it, but it ended up not happening that way. It's the okay. very first air mail delivery of merchandise. And people in Columbus get telegrams from Paris and London and Tokyo and New York, I mean, all over that we've actually used an airplane to fly merchandise from one place to another. And uh, the, the folks at, at Morehouse Martins, the fashion, they take little snippets of it and put it on postcards. Hey, you can buy a, a piece of this historic event or huh. they ties out of it for men. I believe they made some dresses out of it for women, but there's an awful lot of innovation and there's so much, there's more fashion that comes through Columbus with L brands and Victoria's Secret and Abercrombie and Fitch and Bed Bath and Beyond than even in the New York shopping district. We, we know this. There's just so much fashion based here um, that we don't think about. But mm -hmm. Leslie Wexner comes to mind as soon as Easton Town Center opens, you know, and, and revitalizing that whole area. He does something really interesting, though, that we're not seeing in some of the other pieces parts. He's He's kind of taking that whole idea of the continent. If you remember that, that's kind of. Yeah. The, the well, when you were box. talking about the movie theater, I was thinking yeah. about how I used to get taken to the continent. Right. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but he's taking that idea and really Walt Disney would say he plussed it plus, plus, plus it because you not only have retail 
And you not only have um, the restaurants, but you've got an awful lot of places now that they're, they're workplaces. They're places to get discounts. Mm-hmm. There are places to go get your health looked at. Uh, there are places to live. And he's also taken this idea of if Eastland Mall is a big deal because it's enclosed, Easton Town Center kind of goes the opposite direction. We are going to recreate this kind of downtown shopping experience that someone might have had. Mm-hmm. We're going to make it very safe. We're going to make it very accessible. You're going to really, we're going to put up other kinds of things. I mean, we talked about the the wonderfall and the the sculptures, but Easton has all kinds of. They've got the little train that goes through, and they've got some of the sculptures out um, uh, on the other side by the by the Lego store. Mm-hmm. When they had um, Planet Hollywood, if you remember that, I do. That ran yeah. the, that was the theater that was there, and they had Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, and uh, come in um, Sylvester Stallone, Steven Spielberg, give all their props. There were a lot of things to look at and draw you there in the same kind of way, but they've just taken the opposite approach and just left it very open air. And you have to constantly kind of be changing it or updating it or moving your store around, keeping it fresh. Mm-hmm. Um, they are probably the success story of that era. Cause in 1999, now in 2023, Easton seems to be as strong as ever and, and continuing to grow. Absolutely. Um, but I mean, there's uh, Polaris opens in 2001. Mm-hmm. So we know that. And then with, with Polaris being kind of this competitor with it, you begin to see all the other stores dropping off. There's no more Northland. Mm-hmm. There's no more Westland. I mean, all the directional malls begin to fold and close down or, or, or get kind of repurposed. Like Northland is probably the best example of something getting repurposed they've moved the franklin county board of elections over there the franklin county animal shelter there's a lot of there's a lot of they've moved a a kroger over there so they've really taken that space and tried to repurpose it um for the the benefit of the community and the the benefit of of the neighborhood i was looking at the columbus government website and the the eastland plan they have not updated since 2007 so if i was someone living in the eastland area and i was uh, an area commissioner for that or a resident, I might be tapping on some city council doors saying, you haven't revised this plan since 2007. Let's have another kick at this and see let, what worked. How did things work so well for Northland? What lessons did we learn and how can we apply that to what's happening at Eastland? Yeah. Well, and especially now that there's that opportunity to do it, right? It was a, yeah. even though they lost the anchor stores there was still enough tenants in Eastland to keep it open, at least until a couple of weeks ago. Right. Now is the opportunity, right? And especially, just to bring things full circle, especially as we focus more and more on the individual city council zones that we are implementing, how much of that will become an issue, right? And will we put it to that individual council member or will this be a rallying cry that multiple council members are able to get behind? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. Again, doing this research, there's a terrific article that came up in 2002. Dispatch reports residents are concerned about the mall's decline. Mm-hmm. There was a, a resident there. Her name was Jean Rose. She counted up um, 43 vacant stores along it, and she you know, went to the dispatch. She went to council. She said, what, do you, what are we going to do? How I, I'm interested in 
in working to shore up the small and shore up our neighborhood. So there have been warning signs about what was happening at Eastland uh, for quite some time. I think uh, that's the 20 years ago you're talking about, right? Yeah, this is yeah. a 2002 article from the dispatch. Mm-hmm. Um, and they did, uh, the council member Sensenbrenner was very responsive. Rich, he's now gone. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I mean, I would really think that it's time for dusting off that Eastland plan um, and, and really having another kick at it. And, and again, what? how did we get some things to work in Northland? It's certainly not perfect. Mm-hmm. But what worked and how does that, uh, how can we use those victories? And, and what did we learn from the things that didn't work well um, to kind of avoid those pitfalls when we think about redeveloping that area? Absolutely. Doug, I want to give you the opportunity to answer the same question that I ask everybody at the end of episodes. Uh, and hopefully you get the opportunity to answer this question a couple of times at least. <laughs> uh, what do you think Columbus is doing well and what do you think Columbus is not doing so well? Oh, gosh. Columbus does so well uh, these days, I think, at, at marketing ourselves. Okay. And um, I, I really do. Uh, I We're smart and open. And, uh, again, as a lifelong <laughs> resident of Franklin County, the, the whole idea of this. In fact, I'll, I'll be leading a tour next month for a, a group of people around the core downtown and our businesses, our civic associations, um, our our residents are really reinvesting back in and supporting one another in that reinvestment. Uh, when I go to other towns and, and, and places and I look at how businesses are supported or not supported or how ideas are supported or not supported, mm-hmm. I think Columbus is a really terrific job at supporting one another and really finding ways to collaborate more so that, and maybe I, I don't know why exactly that is. I have my own ideas, but I think we do a good job at that. Mm-hmm. What are we not doing? Well, I'll pull from my friend, Michael Wilkos. We are one of the most segregated cities as well in terms of, of where we're living and, and poverty disparity and uh, all the social determinants of health disparities and education disparities and, and you name it. Um, you can see some direct linkage to how, some of that is around freeway systems, but the freeway systems link it to redlining and mm-hmm. to heal that back up, I think is a real challenge. I know Mayor Coleman and Mayor Ginther have both uh, talked about addressing that in different ways. And I, I just think it's a really, that's a tough one. And I think that we could do a better job, probably try the, the areas that are doing well are doing very well. Mm-hmm. But what about the is that are not doing so well. How do we spend the time to look at Westlands and Eastlands? And, um, you know, our city continues to grow, but as we grow, we're kind of attracted to this shiny new thing. Mm -hmm. But how do we maintain and sustain the areas that that, that kind of fostered that growth? So I, I think looking at that challenge is something that we could probably do better. Absolutely. Doug, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. I I look forward to uh, coming back on again, Tim. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. 
Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite historian. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week.